Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Chasers. I'm Susan Riley, and today, my friends, I am joined um, on our podcast today with our two executive directors at the Institute for Arts Integration in STEAM, Tiffany Harris. Hey. And Jamie Patterson. Hello. Today is mailbag day. So we are going to be answering questions that have been coming in for the last few weeks from our listeners. And some of these, you guys, um, they're very interesting. Some of them are in-depth, and it's a wide swath, I think. Mm -hmm. Would you guys agree? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, So thank you so much for your questions. Remember, you can always go to the podcast page over at artsintegration.com forward slash sparkchasers. And there is an Ask Me Anything button. You can just click on that and send in your question, and we will make sure that we answer it like we are in today's episode. Now, before we get started, I don't want to forget to remind you to go to the Arts Integration Bootcamp group. It's a free group. It's a pop-up group for the next 30 days that um, it's so exciting. There are hundreds of people in there already. They're talking and they're engaging in conversations about arts integration and how to make it work for their students. And it's just so positive. And I would love for you to join us over there. In 30 days, we're compiling hundreds of lessons to pull together so that you will never have to think about, <laughs> I don't have a creative idea. <laughs> you will always have one. So you can go to arts and com forward slash bootcamp and sign up. It is free and comes with 10 PD hours. All right. So let's get started. First question is from Marcy from Indiana. And she says, what's it like to work at IAS? <laughs> at the Institute. <laughs> so see, this is why I brought on Jamie and Tiff because they're going to be way less biased than I am. <laughs> Although, as their boss, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, maybe I should leave the room. (laughs) So I'm going to turn it over to you all. I mean, uh, let me just put it this way. I lived in New York City, and it's so good to work with this team that I moved here to Maryland (laughs) to be closer to the team. But I, it's like being around family, and it's just the creativity, the positivity, the love, the the mission. Everybody is working. Like, we're all in the boat rowing the same way. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen often. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's a blessing, you know? For sure. Yeah. I ditto everything Tiff said. It's, <laughs> it's like working with your best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, not a joke. It's, and it's, I know it's hard to toe that line between, uh, colleague and, and friend, but we do it and we do it really well. And I wouldn't change a thing. No, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. it is a thin line, especially having being close to your boss. Mm-hmm. You know, like Susan's like our sister. Yep. You know, and so it, it it does walk that line. But mm-hmm. I think I think we do it well. Yeah, we also have a train that comes by here like, <laughs> often. I don't know if y'all can hear the train, but it's right outside of our offices, which is crazy. I would say working here is, um, for me, it is, it's like coming to work with great friends 
And I've had I've had the pleasure of working with friends before or making good friends wherever I've gone, but not like this. Like the way that everybody looks out for one another, that we are so concerned with everybody else's um, just everything about them in terms of their work, but also in terms of who they are as humans. And we really try to take care of our team well. Um, that is a huge priority for us, which is not, it, that's not typical, especially in education. Mm -hmm. Lots of times it's like, crank it out, get the work done, let's focus on that. And then, you know, you're so spent that by the time you get home, you've got nothing left. And there are moments, I think, that that happens here. <laughs> um, but it's not what we consider the norm, no, I don't not think. No, not at all. Yeah. Correct. Cool. All right. Um, Yay, thanks, Marcy. Thanks. All right, Kara. I'm hoping I'm saying Kara, 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 from Washington State. Um, how do you teach STEAM virtually and in person? That's like a big one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really in-depth question. Yeah, that's tough. Okay, so first of all, we gotta remember that STEAM is really looking at integrating the arts with STEM and through the through the use of standards. So let's start with that understanding that it's not a, a simple um, maker space necessarily. It can be, but if it doesn't have to be. So if you're thinking that STEAM is really about 3D projects or coding and it has to, um, or a robotics class, and how do you translate that into virtual learning, um, it, that's that's not necessarily the case. You want to think about the fact that you're interweaving creative approaches with the STEM content areas, and it could be one of those areas. So it could be art and science, or it could be all of the STEM areas along with another art form like music or dance. That's really up to you and how you want to craft that. The key though is aligning those standards. So when you go about it that way, I think it opens the door to a lot of creative approaches. So if you're working in person, that take advantage of the ability for students to work hands-on on something. Now, are you gonna be able to do it in groups like you normally would? No, because you can't touch things together, right? Especially during COVID. Um, but if you have them all working on something individually that they can get their hands on, or that they could move to, or that they could collaborate on but not necessarily have to be in physical contact with one another. Take advantage of that. If you're working virtually, I would actually recommend exploring media arts as the art form to use in connection with STEM. You could certainly use a lot of other arts areas. Visual art is an easy you know, connection virtually. Music is a little bit more challenging, but you could do it with things like GarageBand and Audacity and have students compose through those tools. But I think exploring media arts, which is a fairly new art form in and of itself, but it's all based on digital components, right? Exploring that through the lens of STEM would be a really great opportunity. Plus, it gives your students the, the ability to have some autonomy as well. Like if you have them creating a podcast episode on their own that they're sharing with their peers in the Google Drive folder, I mean... That's really cool, and it gives them ownership of it. Or if you have them working um, on their own, I don't know, Adobe Spark page, right? So Adobe Spark is a free tool that allows students to create their own web page. They could create their own web page about a story that they're reading or a um, 
if they're working on the weather, like Jamie's son Aiden has his own like meteorology page that he's working on as a high school student, right? Like, cause he wants to be a meteorologist. So he has his own Facebook page and he does these awesome like weather reports. It's really fun. What's the name of that page so that everybody can go find it? <laughs> Aspiring meteorologist Aiden Patterson. There you go. Aspiring meteorologist Aiden Patterson. Go look it up on Facebook, like his page. You'll be able to see his weather forecasts. Um, but if you have, for example, if, if Jamie's son, Aiden, wanted to create a page, he could create a web page using Adobe Spark and think about all of the ways that, that people could interact with that page, think about the design of that page, how to solve a problem of being able to access weather in a certain way, uh, because Aiden also has some special needs. So that would be a way for him to perhaps connect with other students in that visual manner that he needs. So, I mean, the media arts has such a has such an amazing possibility with virtual learning for STEAM. That's what I would suggest, Kara. Thank you. All right, next up is Janelle from Texas. Janelle. I love your graphics. How do you make them? This one I'm going to oh. give to Jamie because she's our executive director of content, so she takes care of all of our graphics. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you very much. Um, I learn from the best. I learn from Susan. Um, <laughs> It was one of the first things that she taught me when I first started here was this wonderful website called Canva. Um, and she said um, that she knew some really, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, uh, digitally uh, challenged people that could, <laughs> <laughs> that, could, that could work with Canva. And so if they could do it, then I could do it. And it turns out she was right. Uh, Susan tends to be right about a lot of things. Uh, um, <laughs> she's, she's not paying us to say these. No, no not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, but um, I I use Canva quite a bit. Um, is Can Canva's free, right? Canva is free. Yes, they also have a paid option for mm -hmm. education, um, and so they have templates that you can use. They've got all sorts of different images and um, photos and elements that you can add. And if I don't see anything there that I necessarily love, then I'll use it as inspiration and make it myself, um, usually in pages, because um, we have Macs here, which I love. Um, or I also use Pixelmator, but I'm still working on that one because that one's a little trickier. But that's pretty much how I, what I use to make the graphics. We also have a graphic designer. Right? We also have a graphic designer that we, um, that we use for different things resources and things like that yeah, yeah usually larger projects yeah shout out to Chers. yeah she is, she is amazing <laughs> she is a gem i love her um okay thank you janelle next up is matthew from california matthew asks how do you decide what are free trainings and what are paid so i'm going to turn that one over to tiff since she's our executive director of academics yeah wow I think a lot of that stems from our accreditation and um, people who come in at needing CEU credits or, um, for example, our partnership with CSUSM that gets master's units or graduate units. Um, those items tend to be the paid items that replicate like going to school um, and going to learn something, a professional development piece. 
Uh, and then a lot of our stuff, 80% of our stuff mm -hmm. is free content because we understand. Like we know teachers need stuff and so we want to get it into their hands as, as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. But most of our paid stuff really stems from the accreditation need for the, the yep. CEU unit. Talk about accreditation, because people may not know what that is or what that process was like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we are accredited through the International Association of Continued Continu Learning, Continued Education, Education and Training. <laughs> it's, it's a long acronym there. Um, and that um, the process for that was very similar to getting approved to do something. So they gave us a list of 73 elements that we had to prove we do when conducting any of our professional development. So um, how we set up a course, how we ensure people are qualified to teach it, how do we assess it at the end, how do we make sure that we're meeting the goals and objectives. And so we had to prove that. Um, and so any of our work that goes through that process get CEU units, like our courses, certification, things like that. And so those items um, fall under that paywall because of it being similar to yeah, like a school. Yeah. And also, you know, if and you can hear more about this in um, one of our previous episodes that I did all about why isn't all your stuff free? Um, because I also have a philosophical um, just kind of belief that we value things that we pay for. Like you're going to put in way more work, way more effort, and you're going to see way more results if you pay for something than if you just curate it for free and it lands in a file somewhere on your desktop or if you're lucky, right? Mm -hmm. So we want you to use this stuff. So the stuff that we want you to use that we know is going to be transformative to you and for your students, um, we're going to charge something for whether that's, you know, nine bucks for an ebook or if it's, you know, 200 bucks for a course. Um, it's it that all depends on the amount of work that goes into it, what you are going to use it for, um, whether or not it's through accreditation. I mean, pricing is different than whether or not we choose free or paid. But um, yeah, I think it's it's twofold yeah. there. Yeah, you make an investment in your in yourself then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, thank you, Matthew. So Kirsten from California says, "I'm nervous that arts integration will replace arts education." So many art positions have already been cut. Is that what you're suggesting? That, you know, that question we get so frequently. Yeah. So frequently. And the foundation of that question is misunderstanding. Mm. Um, when people ask, are you trying to get rid of the art teacher? My first response is, you don't quite understand what arts integration is. Right. And arts integration is the application of knowledge. So the foundational elements, the school, the skills, the techniques, all of those things are taught by the respective teachers. Mm -hmm. So I'm teaching my dancers the foundational elements of composition or how to do pirouette, and then they apply that with another content in another area. And so that the fear that we're going to take away all of the art teachers because we're going to teach all of the subjects and we're going to teach art is a misnomer. Um, it really need, you have to have those specialized arts teachers in order to teach the foundational skills. Because if we're looking at Bloom's Taxonomy, arts integration is not that lower level. That lower level of foundation where we're teaching skills and techniques happens in the classroom with those specialized teachers. Arts integration 
kicks it up a notch and now we apply it. Yeah. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah. I also think it's partly where you're located. Like I know that in California specifically, they cut a lot of the arts programs 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's been a struggle to get the arts programs back. And when you're looking at something like arts integration, if you don't understand what it is, and this is why we do so much advocacy work with Mm -hmm. administrators and with teachers. And I mean, that's, I, I don't know, maybe half of what we do, I feel like, is that we advocate all the time and we're constantly talking about the benefits. Um, and how to do it because if you're a leader and you're looking at well I could save some money because I have budget cuts coming Mm -hmm. I can just turn this teacher into an arts integration teacher but you have no idea what that really means you're setting yourself up for failure so and that's not what we want right and then you're then you've overwhelmed everybody and it's become this just mess so um, I think where you're located and if you've seen that happen it can be traumatic mm-hmm. if we're really honest. And and of course you're going to be weary of something um, that comes along like this. So um, no, we're not, we never advocate for arts integration taking over for arts education. We look at them as working in tandem. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that the arts teachers in your building are the MVPs. They are the, the most valuable players um, because they can teach the skills that nobody else can teach. Mm-hmm. And so then you're just simply putting that together and you can't, you can't have arts integration without arts education. Correct. Cool. Nice. Thanks. Um, thank you. All right. So Heidi from Florida says, what do you do when people steal your work? <laughs> I've seen, and it's not even funny. Like, it's not funny because um, stealing work is not funny it's ever. Bossy. But it, it is. <laughs> it's like it is. gutsy. Yeah. I've seen some of your stuff on other people's PowerPoints during conferences. Just curious how you handle that. <laughs> so I'm like looking at Jamie like, because hmm. we've had this experience where, and, and here's the thing. The more you put yourself out there, the more stuff of yours is going to get taken. I actually just read an entire post from Patty Palmer um, who talked about when COVID happened and it, it really um, – you know, kicked up a notch. She started doing all of these free trainings online for like art classes online for kids. And they became really popular. And I was so excited for her. But as I was reading her post, she was talking about how, you know, brick and mortar stores were starting to use her stuff without her permission or other people were taking her PDFs that she would use and then passing them off as their own or putting things on other sites to sell. Um, and it's and how disheartening it was for her. Mm. And I always hate to hear stories like that because I've I know she's experienced I've experienced it. You've experienced it with some of the graphic design the stuff that you've done. And so it's always so, so frustrating to see that because at the heart of it is a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people look at that stuff and they're like, I don't I'm not creative enough to come up with this on my own. So I'm just gonna put this in here because that's really good. Or lazy. Well, lazy, yes. <laughs> but I tend to think that let's. I think that most people are good. <laughs> and, and they have a good heart. They have a good heart now. But like, I I think that people are just they're rushed and they're mm-hmm. you know yeah. I got to put this presentation together and I'm gonna go do a Google search and just pop this in here because this was really good and I don't have time or I don't have the creative energy to recreate something like this on my own with my own spin on it, right? Um, and I, I just think you're selling yourself short. Mm-hmm. It makes me so sad to see that because I'm like, of course you can. 
you have a whole other experience that you could bring to this item that would be different. Um, and you should, you absolutely should. But I don't know, how do you feel when, when you see that? I mean, it, it hasn't happened on a huge, large scale, I don't think, to me. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I kind of tend to take it as a, a compliment. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you like my stuff? Nice. Um, but, you know, I definitely, what happened to Patty is just, that's awful. Yeah. Um, so, I, again. I but it's not uncommon. No. I've seen a lot of people talk about that. Um, and I think things like teacher pay teachers. Like, I love that site and I hate that site, to be really honest. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the idea of teachers supporting each other um, is so good, right? But then there's such an opportunity for teachers, um, and I've seen this, where people will take others' resources and then post them to that site as if they had created it themselves and make right. money off of it. Yeah, that's gross. Like, that, yeah, gross, right? So... I think it happens to all creators at some point. Yeah. Well, Austin Kleon has that book, Steal Like an Artist. Right. So. <laughs> right. I mean, there's this fine line. First of all, one of the things I think we do is that we have a really solid copyright policy. Mm -hmm. So every page has a link to the copyright policy. It is very clearly laid out what you can and cannot use. And we always put in there, if you have a question, just email us mm -hmm. and let us know. And nine times out of ten. Yeah. Right? Like when those questions come in, and we'll get them yep. at least multiple times a week. Oh, yeah. We get them. Yep. And it's always yes. just make sure that our, you know, our logo is on there or whatever is on there and accreditation is or credit is provided. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, we say yes. So yep. I think it's just a matter of being able to ask people for permission to do their, to, to use their stuff if you want to use it. Um, but also being willing to let it go to a degree. Like, if it's really egregious, like if you're profiting off of something that we've created, yeah, I'm going to contact you. And I'm going to say, mm, we need to have a conversation about this. I'm not going to be nasty, but just let's let's follow the letter of the law here. Right. But sometimes, and I've done this multiple times, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to spend my energy, my time chasing after this or do I spend that time creating? Right. You know? So that's yeah. how you handle it, or that's how I handle it. I don't, I know a lot of other people handle it very differently. You can copy what I did previously. I'm going to focus on what's coming next, and you have no idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> There's that. All right, and last one from today, from Edna from Wisconsin. I want to make my classes more engaging with new media and podcast. Do you have any suggestions? Mm, we actually have a session <laughs> on podcasts from our most recent, was it most recent? Yep. Yeah. Conference. The last summer conference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we do have, and we, I think we have some stack stuff on it too, right? We do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. So we, we do have some resources on that. Podcasts are great, especially now with remote learning, just as Susan was talking about earlier. Um, but that's like, that's one thing that we do have and it's available, available to our accelerator members. Um, to go in there and take a look at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also I would say, or I would add that um, looking at things like social media, I'm not saying we should use social media in our classes, although there's a nice big debate about that as well. I'm gonna avoid that part. I want us to look at social media from what makes that sticky. Mm -hmm. Like, 
what causes you to scroll and continue to scroll on Instagram? And what is it about um, Facebook that has you check it mindlessly while you're doing something else, right? Mm -hmm. What is the stickiness of that platform? The new platform that's out there, Clubhouse, right? There's, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, just crazy. It's intriguing, but it's crazy. But like in that platform, if you haven't heard of it, it's an audio only platform. So people have conversations via audio and then it, it once the room is closed, it's gone. There's no texting, there's no video, um, but there's you have to have an invitation to come in. So I know people are like selling those invites for like a thousand bucks. It's crazy, right? But the idea there of what would make somebody listen for hours, would mm -hmm. stay in the room and listen for hours. And I've been in groups where they're like, oh my gosh, I have to get into Clubhouse because I've heard that you just get in there and stay on for hours. And I'm so interested in learning all the information on this topic. And I'm like, what makes that? <laughs> How do you have that much time? I know, but what... <laughs> Truly. But if you're thinking about those platforms, think about what makes those things sticky, right? Mm -hmm. And then try to incorporate that into your classroom. Is it the idea of giving each person an open mic to be able to facilitate a conversation with their peers, right? Um, is it sharing specific things and making connections? Like that's what Facebook says is what makes them sticky is that you're seeing your, your connections and you're, you're being able to catch up in real time, right? So is it the relationship building? Is it the visual aspect of things like in Instagram? Is it the speed of conversations like on Twitter where you can get all this information in a very short period of time and there are certain limits, like you only have a certain amount of characters in which to communicate your idea. Um, so look at the stickiness of those and then think about how do I incorporate that stickiness into my classroom? Because that's gonna make it way more engaging for your students and way more relevant, I think. Mm -hmm. So. All right, that's it from the mailbag for today. Thank you so much to everybody who has popped those questions in for us. And uh, I hope that these have kind of, you know, answered some of those things. And if you have any other questions, just let us know over at artsintegration.com forward slash spark chasers. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.